brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. According to Anna Nikupatore, a young Finnish researcher at the University of Lapland, with or without violence, stalking should be recognized as a form of violent behavior. Last week, we covered the story of Monica Deming and the stalking that her ex-boyfriend did for the month prior to him murdering her. Before Monica, we heard the story of Jane and the stalking her abusive husband perpetrated upon her. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, you may want to pause and go listen to them first. Welcome to Targeted, True Crime, Domestic Violence. We tell stories of women, men, and children who were targeted by domestic abuse. We investigate cases of family violence each season using academic research to interpret the events. As a college professor, I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. It's time for us to tell our stories and use our experiences to help, to heal, and to provoke change. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted. I've received ample feedback about these episodes, and we have gained a lot of new listeners over the past few weeks. I want to begin with thanking you for your compassionate response to the stories of Monica and Jane and your encouragement to me. Your emails and messages show a depth of empathy and a desire to learn more while discussing individual cases. Telling someone's experience with domestic violence is not about enjoying their tragedy, but finding a way to connect at a deeper level. Stories reach us in a way that basic information doesn't. I consider weaving stories into this podcast as a sign of respect for those involved and I try to honor each person rather than sensationalizing the assault. Many of you feel the exact same way, and I appreciate you so much. I have some hopeful news for you about Jane's case. When her story aired a couple weeks ago, it didn't seem as if she would receive an extension for her restraining order when her ex-husband was released from prison. 
the county where the order had originally been processed had refused to renew it when it expired. Fortunately, Jane does not give up. She continued to seek out resources and help. She had moved to a new county, and she went to speak with the district attorney's office there to see if they could help. They could. There was a relatively new law in Texas that required a restraining order to be extended if the perpetrator is in prison. The new DA's office offered to work with Jane's old district attorney's office. Even better, the old district attorney's office had recently hired a new assistant DA who is familiar with domestic violence policy and law, and it seems like she's really working to make the county a safer place for survivors. Jane is satisfied with the results and feels much more hopeful with the renewed order. I've asked Jane if she would like to record an update. In an email to me, she said she would because she, quote, feels it's important for victims to know that there's life on the other side and to never stop fighting, unquote. I'll let you know when we're able to record with Jane again, and I know you're going to look forward to hearing from her. The primary questions I received from many of you about Jane and Monica's episodes are asking me to explain more about stalking and then to cover what someone could do if they have a stalker. Because there's so much information out there, I'm going to divide these basic issues into two episodes, with this one focusing on learning more about stalking. Next time, we'll look at protective measures. And, of course, we're going to still be looking deeper at the Texas legislation that was inspired by Monica Deming's case, Monica's Law, and how that may help people impacted by stalking in the future. For today, let's drill down into stalking behaviors. In Monica's case, I think many of us were astonished that Brandon Levia's stalking went from harassing texts to defacing a car to murder. It seems to be in a logical sequence. How did it go from zero miles per hour to 20 miles per hour to 200 miles per hour? Shouldn't there have been more steady escalation in between the slashing of tires and writing graffiti on Monica's friend's car to when he broke into her house with a gun drawn shooting her? With Jane's case, some of you had similar questions. Why did Colin go from unscrewing light bulbs in Jane's outdoor lighting one day to beating her with a baseball bat a few days later? Why wasn't that a steady progression of violence? Why was it so unpredictable based on the stalker's previous behavior? Unfortunately, the news is not so comforting. Stalking is a dangerous sign in domestic violence, one that portends more violence. It's difficult for those involved to understand the risks, from the target, to the police, to friends, to family, to the court system. Stalking often seems like it's less threatening than it is. In order to demonstrate this, I'm going to start out with some numbers in a 2017 report from the UK called Exploring the Relationship Between Stalking and Homicide. They looked at three years of homicides involving domestic violence. They found that 94% of the homicides included stalking behaviors. So, most of the homicides had a perpetrator who stalked before they killed. 
What they didn't do, though, was to give threats about killing the person nearly as often. A threat to kill was only present in about 55% of the cases. Wow, most of the homicides involved stalking. So this tells us that stalking itself is an incredibly powerful predictor. We also learned that only about half of those stalking will give an actual death threat. So it should not be reassuring if a stalker does not make a direct death threat. Therefore, threats aren't the standard of establishing if a stalker is dangerous. Stalkers are dangerous any time they display stalking behavior, even if that behavior seems fairly innocuous, such as showing up at someone's house or calling repeatedly. It's important to realize that, although we shouldn't expect a threat of violence, we also have research that establishes that if a stalker does make a threat of violence, it is statistically very dangerous. Stalkers who do threaten their targets are likely to follow through with physical violence, according to a 1999 study by Polaria, Zona, Lane, Lang and Rixen, Rowling. There are many stalkers who do not threaten violence, though, and they conduct a series of behaviors that outsiders see as more bizarre than dangerous. For instance, a stalker might create various social media profiles in order to taunt the target. Friends and family might see this as annoying, but fail to see it as a red flag for violence. Or a stalker may walk by the target's house repeatedly, not even bothering to look in or communicate with the target. To the police, this may seem as a ridiculous complaint. It's not, though. According to Anna Nikupatore, a young Finnish researcher at the University of Lapland, with or without violence, Stalking should be recognized as a form of violent behavior. This is why laws in many places have been modified over the past few years. When stalking laws first came on the books, they often specified that a credible threat of death or injury be given. Not so much anymore, because we know the behavior itself is problematic even without explicit threats. Many laws now measure the severity of stalking based on an objective measure of fear that the stalker inspires. Overall, stalking laws are relatively new. The first one proposed in the United States was in 1990, but soon after that, most states adopted them. In Canada, stalking became a crime in 1993. In Australia, there are some states that established laws in the 1990s, but the most comprehensive changes were made through the Crimes, Domestic, and Personal Violence Act in 2007. In Sweden, stalking was considered a crime in 2011. In South Africa, stalking was criminalized for everyone through the Protection from Harassment Act in 2013. Before then, it was only a crime for spouses. In Finland, Stalking became a crime in 2016. How many people are affected by stalking? A lot. According to Victoria University's Safer Community in Australia, 20% of women and 7% of men will experience stalking in their lifetime. 
In the United States, about 15% of women and 6% of men will experience stalking in their lifetime, according to a Center for Disease Control report in 2014. The stats from Canada are a little different as they only include people who were stalked in a five-year period, as reported in the 2014 General Social Survey on Canadian Safety. Over five years, 8% of women and 5% of men reported being stalked. As a side note, I looked for more international statistics, but found they were difficult to verify. While I could see them printed in newspaper articles, I couldn't find the original sources, and I didn't want to include them without being sure of the data. When we put all the stats together, it means that somewhere between 8 to 20% of women and about 5 to 7% of men will have been stalked in their lifetime. That's a lot of people. I bet we have many of our listeners who have had to deal with a stalker in the past. Have you been stalked? I was. Oh, it was so many years ago when I was working on my Ph.D. at Penn State University. I dated a boy named John. I met him while he was working in a media room at the university where I had to watch a series of documentaries for a class. He was cute and sweet, and he asked me out almost immediately. When I decided to go out with him, I had a gut instinct that it would just be for fun, and it didn't have the potential to be a serious relationship. I hadn't dated a whole lot before. I'd probably dated about 10 people. I had a few boyfriends, but I only ever really loved one. I tended to date guys I thought I might have a potential future with. When I had moved to Penn State, I had decided that I wanted to have a bit more fun. I wanted to go out. I wanted to date a lot more people. And I just wanted to have a good time without thinking about the future and marriage. So I dated a few people I knew were terrible matches, but I thought they'd be entertaining to have a night out with. And it was great fun at times. There was another grad student from New Zealand who played rugby, and he had the most enchanting accent I just loved to hear him talk. I thought John would be a kick, too. He seemed to think that I was pretty wonderful, and he gave me compliment after compliment after compliment. He'd come over to my apartment, and he would make me laugh when I was really stressed out from school. Soon, however, it became too much. I'd tell him that he couldn't come over because I was working on something. I remember one night he begged me to come over anyways, and he he just wanted to be near me. Oh, the course of least resistance was to acquiesce and let him come. It lasted for about 15 minutes before he was whining that I was ignoring him. Annoyed, I threw him out. He left and went home, and then he started calling me. Over and over and over. If I answered, he'd either beg to come see me or he'd hang up. I got very little done that night because he just kept calling and my nerves were jangled quickly. I knew I didn't ever want to see him again, but I decided I needed to meet up with him one more time to make it clear that we were done dating. I wanted to control the setting, and I had a dog who didn't like him, so he came over to my apartment 
and I told him we'd no longer be dating and please stop contacting me. All this while my little dog growled at him menacingly. His response? A proposal of marriage. He said he had been thinking about what I really wanted and decided that I was upset with him because he was taking things too slowly. So he proposed. This is not at all what I was thinking. Of course, I refused. He then made a flippant comment about one day I might come home and find a bomb in my apartment, and he left. I remember being shaken, paralyzed. Surely he was joking, right? John would call me all the time, 10, 20, 50 times a day. He thought that I was playing hard to get. Often I didn't answer, but sometimes I did if I were expecting a call from someone else. Soon after, John called and again asked me out on a date to go see a movie on a Saturday night. I remember this so vividly, it was to go see the movie Misery. It was a movie from Stephen King about a woman who was stalking a famous author, kidnaps him, and tortures him in her house. I thought it was a little ironic that he asked me to go see this movie because John wouldn't leave me alone. I refused. About this time, I had also started casually dating another guy, one whom I really liked, and on that Saturday as we walked into the movie theater, he and I went to see Misery, and we passed John and his date leaving the movie. John looked startled and angry, and he made sure to come up to me and confront me about turning down his date in order to go out with this other guy. It was true, I told John, I was dating someone new, and I would not be going out with him anymore. You would hope that was the end of it, but it wasn't. John continued to call. I bought an answering machine so I could screen my phone calls because I was so scared to pick up the phone. My family knew they needed to start leaving a message, and if I were there, I'd pick up the phone. Sometimes John would come over to my apartment, banging and yelling at my door. I would just cower on my couch, not moving, hoping he would go away. Once he did leave, I would sometimes still be stuck on the couch for hours, not even wanting to move a foot down because it felt like he would know if I moved and he would start up again. I'd avoid going outside for as long as possible because I was scared he'd be waiting for me in the parking lot. I had a dog, though, so I couldn't stay in for very long. Fortunately, as I said, my pup couldn't stand John, and I had some measure of comfort that he would alert me if John were hiding around a corner. I never told the police. Why? It just all seemed too silly when I told someone else. Nothing he did was all that scary when you looked at it by itself, other than the bomb threat. But I told people that he seemed flippant when he said it, so it was probably more of a bad joke or the sign of a sore loser. I remember telling an older doctoral student, a woman in her 40s, and I laughed while I told her about the experience. She stopped me, put her hand on my shoulder, looked me directly in the eyes, and asked me, why was I laughing? Did I honestly think it was funny? My laughter was immediately replaced by tears. No, no, it wasn't funny. I was scared.
It was simply easier to cope by laughing. It went on for weeks. It wasn't until my new boyfriend started answering the phone every time that he was over at my apartment that John stopped. My boyfriend was taller, stronger, muscular, and more imposing than John, and I think John may have been intimidated by him. One day, without warning, it ended. No more calls, no more banging on the door, no more proposals. He faded from my life completely. I never saw him again, even though I lived in the same apartment for another year or so. I never heard from him again. I've often wondered what happened to him and if he did the same thing to anyone else. Research would say there's a pretty strong chance that he continued with this type of behavior, but I'll probably never know if he did. This incident was a minor footnote in my life in many ways. In other ways, it affected me a lot. You see, the new boyfriend was the man I ended up marrying. I look back and recognize the stalking made me rely heavily on my new boyfriend and bonded me fairly deeply and quickly to him. I think it allowed me to overlook some red flags that my boyfriend exhibited. And I'm pained to say my dog adored my new boyfriend who became my husband. He was a smart dog, but I guess dogs don't always have better instincts than people. My guess is that many of you have been stalked as well. It may have been a small part of your life, or it may have been a significant event. It may be something you are still dealing with. If you want to tell your story, you're always welcome to come to our closed Facebook group and share. Sometimes there's catharsis in telling others. We're not therapists or counselors in the group, but we are supportive. As I've been talking about stalking, I realize that I haven't actually defined it yet. There is not one definition that is commonly accepted because it's often defined differently by psychological and legal disciplines. I'm going to use one based on research done by J. Reed Malloy and Shana Gothard. Dr. Malloy, in particular, has done extensive research into stalking. I'm using a lot of Malloy's findings from various published articles in the next section. And I'll include all that information on the website. Stalking is the willful, malicious, and repeated harassing or unwanted behavior imposed on another person that causes fear and is intended to cause harm. By nature, stalking is supposed to be a progressive crime, meaning that it happens over time rather than just a one-time event. Legally, this pattern of behavior is often called a course of conduct that has a continuity of purpose. In other words, a person has a goal that he or she tries to attain by engaging in a variety of behaviors. About half of the states in the U.S., though, allow prosecution for stalking even if there is only one documented event. Because behaviors may seem mild to an onlooker, stalking may be minimized by others, including law enforcement and the courts. In fact, stalking behaviors may even be, by and large, legal. Calling another person is not illegal. Calling them 100 times in one day is not illegal. Going to someone's workplace is not illegal, even if that person doesn't want you there. 
Sending a text to somebody calling them a slut is not illegal. Usually, it's when these actions cause fear and are intended to harm the target that it becomes criminal. Research suggests that stalking is not sudden, unexplained behavior by an otherwise stable person. Instead, studies indicate that there is often a history of poor social relationships and about 80% of stalkers may have personality disorders. It's not a matter of somebody suddenly snapping. Stalking can be seen by looking at somebody's past history of behaviors. The particular personality disorders correlated with stalking include narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. Although I was surprised at first that antisocial personality disorder was not strongly correlated with stalking, it does make a sort of sense. People who are antisocial are not as likely to obsessively seek out and pursue a relationship. Of course, you can have an antisocial person who becomes a stalker. It's just not as typical. I also found it revealing in the research that mental illness is not correlated with stalking behaviors. Only about 10% of stalkers examined in studies were determined to have a mental illness. While the stalking of celebrities is a type of stalker, the majority of stalking is done by people we already know. A common type of stalker we know is a former partner. Another common type is a friend or acquaintance who becomes fixated on someone. Stalkers tend to be of average or above average intelligence and use strategic thinking, but they do not have a grasp of the true nature of the relationship they're pursuing. For instance, due to the personality disorder, many stalkers think they are doing nice things for their target and become enraged when they are rebuffed. Stalkers interpret their own actions as good and blame the victims for any negative fallout. We saw this in Jane's case when Colin seemed to think that his stalking of Jane should be interpreted as a sign of love. As he raped her, he was telling her how much he loved her. In some ways, it was unimaginable for him to believe that Jane wasn't still committed to him. In his mind, once she, quote-unquote, betrayed him, though, then whatever she suffered was her own fault. Turning to Monica Deming's case, there are some things that we can see in hindsight. Brandon had difficulty accepting that their relationship was over, and he blamed Monica for being mean to him. He refused to stop when she clearly told him to do so. Brandon did not signal deadly intentions, but Monica clearly felt that her life was in danger. This is a normal pattern. It's important for law enforcement and courts to understand that the target has valid reasons for the fear, even if the perpetrator's surface behaviors don't seem all that threatening to an outsider. If a person expresses that they are in fear for their life or the life of their family or friends, this needs to be seriously addressed immediately and protective measures implemented. It should always be investigated rather than dismissed. While I've mentioned in the past that protective orders do not function as good deterrents for stalkers, there's another view to think about. Once there is a restraining order, it gives law enforcement a tangible means to arrest and prosecute. If a perpetrator is not allowed within a one-mile radius of the target's home, 
then it becomes a crime if he or she is found casually strolling by the target's home. Monica's family and friends believed that her fear was valid and they tried to help her, but the law provided obstacles. Past harassing behavior is predictive of future violence, but Brandon's violent history was difficult for Monica or even the police to discover as we discussed last week. Better access to this type of information would be useful in creating a more holistic profile in order to assess risk. Next time, we'll look a bit more at coping with stalking and discuss the proposed legislation in Texas known as Monica's Law. Before I roll our outro, I want to thank our newest Patreon members, Sarah O. M. and Kenda M., who pledged at the assistant professor level. We appreciate you both, and I am so thankful for your support. I pray for peace for you. Thank you. Thanks for all of you who contact me on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. I know my social media game is not always that great. I've been dealing with some rather overwhelming stuff in my life recently, and I think Twitter in particular has been a little neglected. I can't promise that I'm going to suddenly become great on Twitter or Instagram. My energy goes mostly into creating the podcast, and sometimes that means there's not a whole lot of emotional energy left over for the social media. I hope you guys understand and know that I really appreciate you and I value you. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Thanks so much for joining us at Targeted Podcast, True Crime, Domestic Violence. If you're interested in my research, I include a bibliography on my website, www.targetedpodcast.com. If you're looking to connect with others who listen to the show, please consider joining our closed Facebook group called Targeted Podcast. Just request to join and you will be approved. You can tweet at me on Twitter. My handle is Targeted Podcast. I'm also on Instagram with the same name, Targeted Podcast. If you want to support the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and writing a sentence or two about what you like. It helps other listeners to find us. If you'd like to support the show financially, you may decide to make a small monthly Patreon pledge. If you've been listening to the podcast, you may be learning a lot about domestic violence and society. While you won't earn a college degree by listening, I named the different Patreon tiers in honor of the college system. For $1 a month, you can be in the student 
tier, and you have access to episodes that are advertisement-free. For $3 a month, that will let you access the teacher tier, and everyone at this tier or higher will receive monthly bonus episodes. Please stay tuned for promos at the end of the podcast, and check them out if they sound interesting. I'll include links to them in my show notes. As we end, let me emphasize that if you or someone you know is targeted by abuse, you are not alone. There are resources available for you. I've included some information in the show notes and on my website. Leaving an abusive relationship can be one of the most dangerous times for a target and I strongly encourage you to reach out for support. It may be the hardest thing you ever do, but it will be worth it. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted. Peace, my friends. Peace. Beyond Your Nightmares is a podcast that tells a mix of scary, creepy pasta stories, as well as those mysteries that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. From the paranormal to the supernatural, mysteries, strange deaths, conspiracy theories and everything in between, new episodes released every two weeks. Listen to Beyond Your Nightmares on iTunes or anywhere you listen to great podcasts. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.